We're moving verse by verse through the book of Exodus. If you are new to us, uh, it has been a while. We started off actually on Sunday mornings and then we moved to Wednesday nights. Exodus 28, we are now going through the tabernacle and we are at the place where we are going to study the vestments or the garments of the high priest, Exodus 28. You may say, what, do we, what will we get out of that? Uh, the answer is a whole lot. There's actually some really beautiful stuff in here. So let's just ask the Lord's help one more time. Father, as we jump into the Word of God, we pray that the Word of God would come deep into our souls. We would see your great love for your people. You are the ultimate high priest. You fulfill the imagery of Aaron in the tabernacle, the holy place, and the holy of holies. These beautiful garments really connected Aaron to the tabernacle, beautiful colors for glory and for beauty. We're told in Psalm 29 that we're to worship the Lord in holy array, or another version says, in the beauty of holiness. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to know how we become holy. Help us to know your heart for your people, your great love for us. And I pray that exactly what you want to take place tonight in our hearts both with the teaching and the responding to the Word of God, would occur for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 28, for glory and for beauty. Uh, let's uh, just remind ourselves of a couple of things. The tabernacle, the question that lingers behind the study of the tabernacle is how do I, how do you draw near to God? God is holy. So what does it take for us to draw near to him? Well, we've learned that we cannot draw near to God without some form of mediation. And that mediation does occur through the high priest, at least at this time in Israel. If you want to just write down a verse, uh, you'll remember this verse. This is Exodus 19, 6. God said to the people of Israel, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. In Romans 15, 16, Paul described his ministry as ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then Revelation 1, 6 says, he has made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so this idea of a priesthood of all believers is something that permeates the New Testament, and it's found in 1 Peter 2.9, for example, that we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are God's special possession. What is the purpose that we have as priests in the New Covenant? It's to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? So in one sense, we're all priests of the New Covenant. And what we offer to God is ourselves, not some animal or something else, ourselves as living sacrifices, and our goal is to be a light to the nations. Our goal is to be a light to our coworker, a light to our neighbor, a light to our friend, etc. And this is captured in the idea of the priest. Now, if we can go to the first photograph just for a second. Uh, I've got about seven photos for you tonight, and I just want you to take a look at this first one. This is the, the high priestly garments are what are described in Exodus chapter 28, and you can see how beautiful and colorful the garments are. And I was having a conversation with someone after the prayer meeting just a little while ago, and we were talking about 
a, a little bit of the history of uh, priests in the Catholic Church and for example, there, may, there are some denominations, some of you grew up where the pastor would don a robe when he preached. And you might be thinking, what is that all about? You've all seen choirs with choir robes, right? And sometimes they're swaying back and forth with their colors and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, wh what is it about a robe or some sort of uniform that is important? And I don't know that it is in the New Covenant, but I would just say to you that we're all used to uniforms conveying a message. For example, if we see a military uniform, we know that that conveys a message. That's someone who's serving our country, and then they may have certain medals or things on their shoulders, and that depicts, you know, the rank that they are and the position that they hold and maybe even accolades that they've earned. We see a police officer in a uniform or something like that. I can remember I have uh, an Italian Roman Catholic family and I went to the home of one of our family members and they were uh, connected to the Catholic Church. And so what happened was the priest came over and he did a little kind of eulogy uh, devotion and he sprayed some holy water on the family. And then when he was leaving, he took off his robe. And to my knowledge, the high priest would put on these vestments Every time he was ministering in the place called the tabernacle, which was the place that preceded the physical temple. You can think of Solomon's temple and Herod's temple. And this was the leader of the nation of Israel under theocracy. Remember that God said he had made a covenant with the people. The leader of the nation of Israel for all the years until the time of Saul and David and Solomon was the high priest. And the high priest did wear a crown, as you see in the picture uh, behind me. He wore these uh, incredibly colorful vestments. And he was basically the representative of the nation before God, and he represented God to the people. Now, we know Moses had that particular uh, calling, but Aaron was the man, along with his family, that was to basically take this role. You can see in verse 1, Exodus 28, then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother. Aaron's probably the older brother of Moses and his sons with him. So notice it's a family uh, calling from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me. And then he names Aaron, the brother of Moses. And then there's uh, Aaron's sons. You have Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Now, you might remember way back, if you were with us on Sunday mornings in the book of Exodus, we studied the life of Moses, and we were introduced to Moses' parents, both from the tribe of Levi, Exodus 2, verse 1. And why is that important? Because the Levitical line, or the line of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, or the sons of Israel, was the priestly line. Moses had a mom and a dad that were from the tribe of Levi. His brother was obviously also from the tribe of Levi. And God, very early in Israel's history, sets a family apart to minister as priests. Anyone who was called as a priest had to come from this particular tribe to serve in this area. So you couldn't purchase the priesthood. You couldn't, you know... Submit your application for the priesthood. The priesthood was a specific calling for a specific line, and it was a call from God. And this is how people served. 
And so you, you can see a couple of these names. Uh, Nadab and Abihu later in Leviticus offer some sort of strange fire on the altar and they're killed by God. So to be a priest, you had to do things correctly and one of the things that you were required to do as the high priest is put on this uniform or put on these garments before you entered into the holy place. And we're going to go through and, and see what exactly these garments were. How are they described and so forth. Vestments signified, just to wrap up the first thought, in the ancient world, just as they do today, authority. Much like a uniform does today. And uh, if you think about it, for 500 years from the time of Moses until the time of Saul, the first king of Israel, it was a theocracy. So the leader of Israel was the high priest. And then Israel asked for a king, remember? And uh, Samuel was upset by that. But God said, let them have their way. And then they got Saul and so forth. And then they became a monarchy. So here's the, the garments. You shall make holy, the Hebrew word kodesh, holy or set apart garments for Aaron, your brother. Remember, right now, uh, the descriptions are just being given to Moses. They have not been made yet or come to fruition. For Aaron, your brother, the vestments for glory, that's the Hebrew word kavod. It's the idea of weightiness, gravity. You can speak of the, obviously the glory of God, but also here the weightiness of this role. The vestments are for glory and for beauty. Beauty is a, one of several words in Hebrew. It's tapara in Hebrew, and it just means beautiful. I mentioned in the prayer, Psalm 29 Verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. If you have a New King James, it says, Psalm 29, 2, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so what is it that I uh, wear, as it were, when I come in to worship the Lord? Well, you know, you guys all know that in the evangelical church, we move from very formal churches to very laxed churches where flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts seem to be the normal dress. But the dress in the New Covenant is almost irrelevant, although some people do like to dress up and there's, you know, there's grace along these lines. But there are some, for example, there's some uh, branches of evangelicalism where if you don't wear a suit and tie when you're preaching, you in trouble. So there's some, you know, places where the, you're expected to dress up. But the dress that we wear when we worship the Lord is the clothing of the new man. Amen? It's the clothing of the new community. It's the armor of God, if you will. It's, it's we put on the Lord Jesus Christ when we worship the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't see us through the right clothing, the right tie, the right dress, whatever it may be. The Lord looks at us through the finished work of our great high priest. Amen? Jesus. And that's how we are acceptable to come into the holy place and the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which is superior to the old way. So you got to keep in mind when you study these things that this has been superseded by the new covenant and our great high priest, Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says, You shall speak to, the, to all the skillful persons, ones that we're going to build the tabernacle are also going to uh, deal with these garments, whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him or set him apart, that he may minister as a priest, as priest to me. And these are the garments which they shall make. 
Now we're going to get six of the eight garments. These are the core parts of the vestments. Notice the order. The first is the breast piece. You may have breastplate if you have a New King James, but it's not a plate. It's actually a piece of cloth. So it's a breast piece or a chest piece. It's an ephod, number two, a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister as a priest or as priest to me. So the garments now are listed in verse 4, 6 of the 8, and a summary verse in verse 5 says this, that they shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen, five components in the garments, gold, something like a sky blue wool, a dark red wool, a crimson wool, and a twisted linen. The same material and colors that were to be used at the entry points into the tabernacle, the outside gate when you first came into the, the court. Let's, let's move to picture number two that we have. Uh, so you'd move into the outside gate of the court, the inner curtain from the court into the holy place, and then the final curtain from the holy place into the holy of holies all had these colors. And so the same color scheme of the curtains is also on the vestments of the high priest. You might ask, well, what's the message? I think it says this, that the high priest is somehow integrated into the message of the tabernacle. In other words, you can't really have a tabernacle without mediation. And the high priest is the one who's going through these entry points with the same color scheme integrated into the message of the tabernacle. That is that God wants to uh, tabernacle with us and us with him. And the high priest is the one who does what? He intercedes for the people. He keeps them, uh, helps keep the menorah lit. But one major thing that he does do is he does that annual sacrifice on the day of what? The day of atonement or Yom Kippur. And he does that to mediate for the people so that their sins can be forgiven. So his main duty, if you will, is to stand between a holy God and a sinful nation to mediate for their sin. And of course, that's what our ultimate high priest does. And so uh, those are the colors. Verse 6 names the, uh, the ephod is named first here, and it says this. They shall also make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material. So again, those colors and fine twisted linen the work of the skillful workman. Now, if you're taking notes, the first description in terms of detail is the ephod. The ephod is separate from the breast piece. We'll get there in a moment. And a lot of scholars do say that the ephod was the most important piece or garment worn by the high priest. The ephod refers to the torso garment, a piece of clothing that covered the body uh, from the thigh to the shoulder, without covering the arms and the legs. And uh, we have the picture up there so you can get a look at the uh, ephod. Something like an apron, you could say, in appearance. And the ephod had, verse 7, it shall have two shoulder pieces joined to its two ends. So part of the ephod were the shoulder pieces that it may be joined. Eight, the skillfully woven band which is on it shall be like its workmanship of the same material of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet material, and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones 
and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone. If you're reading right to left, Hebrew moving right to left, scholars would argue that you start on the right shoulder moving to the left shoulder. That's speculation, but that may be what happened here. Six of their names on, on the stone, on the right shoulder, if you will. And the names of the remaining six, these are the tribes of Israel, on the other stone, according to or in order of their birth. And so here's what happened. If you, if you put the picture up just again, you can see on the shoulders of the high priest, and you see some gold chains coming down. Two, um, they, they're in square settings, but they're actually two stones. They're two stones that have been engraved, six and six. Six names of the tribes, the first six in birth order from Genesis 29, 30 and moving into chapter 35, and six names on the other shoulder, and these are the 12 tribes of Israel on the shoulders of the high priest. And here's what it says about them. It says, as a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. These are the sons of Jacob, just to make it easy. You shall set them in filigree settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. You can think of a corporate solidarity here. The whole nation being represented on the two shoulders. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for a memorial. And so on the right shoulder, he would bear the names Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, and Naphtali. If you want to... Did you lose the board completely? Okay. Okay, there we go. What was I saying? Where am I? What day is it? If you're, if, thank you. If you're, <laughs> I did remember, I was just joking. <laughs> Reuben on the right? No. So, um, if you're interested in more on the birth order, they, this is recorded in Genesis 29, 30, and 35. And just a side note, if you've ever studied the nation of Israel and how all these kids came to be, it was from one man and four different women. So, if you are wondering, you know, can God use somebody like me? You know, I'm a little messed up. I have a little messed up background. Just read the history of the nation of Israel. Because there, are, there were no perfect families that God had to choose from. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so there were, there were a couple of additional ladies that were involved here that were brought into the family, as it were. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, and Naphtali, one shoulder. Probably the left shoulder stone would have inscribed the names Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So Aaron bore the names of the house or the family of Israel in God's presence symbolized on the ephod shoulder stones. And then, of course, they were braided down with some gold chains holding the chest piece together. And here's an application thought. Whenever the high priest put on his ceremonial robes, he lifted the people onto his shoulders and carried them into the presence of God. As if to say, 
Here we are, Lord, all 12 tribes of us, your precious kingdom of priests. And we know that in the new covenant, the Lord Jesus bears our burdens on his shoulders. Amen? And we can come into the Holy of Holies because of our great high priest, because of his blood. We studied the, the bronze altar last time, remember? And it was, you know, a lot of sacrifices took place there and a lot of, you know, death and, and uh, atonement made there. Thousands upon thousands of sacrifices. The first thing that you ran into coming in from the outside into the court was that place of sacrifice. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And here, our great high priest is pictured as laying down his life for us, and then he carries us on his shoulders, as it were. And I want you to think just for a second, because the church is, is his beloved bride, Jew and Gentile, and so he carries our names, if you will, before the Father. And what's beautiful is that the Bible even says that we can cast all our burdens to him because he what? Because he cares for us. And so this image moving from Aaron to the ultimate high priest tells us that Jesus wants to carry our burdens. When we come to him in prayer, Hebrews 4 as our great high priest, we learn that he can sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. Amen? He is one who carries our burdens. So it would be wise for us to give them to him as regularly as we can instead of trying to carry the weight ourselves. Uh, he wants to bear your burden, which is amazing. And in fact, we're told as priests in the new covenant that we're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And so I see a beautiful picture that moves out from the head of the church to the body, wherein we keep the law of love by bearing one another's burdens. So I've watched you guys do that when, you know, someone's going through something, needs prayer, needs a meal, needs someone to be there with them. You have been the hands and the feet of your great high priest. And you shall make filigree settings of gold. Look at 14. Two chains of pure gold. You shall make them of twisted cordage work. And you shall put the corded chains on the filigree setting. So back to that one picture one more time, the one we just had up. So you could say that the high priest had a little bling going on. He had, he had some chains there going down uh, to the next piece of uh, the next garment, which is going to be the breastplate or the breast piece. And uh, we're going to pick that up in the next several verses. I would just, to set the table, if you're taking notes, just write the breast piece as the second one. And uh, this was the most costly of the vestments. And just quoting another author, it points to the very heart of Christ. He has us close to his heart. Song of Solomon 8 verse 6 puts it this way. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as, severe as Sheol, it flashes our flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And so the breast piece was a square fabric pouch. Uh, I've heard some different things, but most likely 18 inches square. It had a fancy pocket in it, and that pocket held something called the Urim and the Thummim. And we'll get into that in a second. 
There's a little debate about what that was. Was it some sort of extra garment? Was it a couple of additional stones that lit up? We'll talk about that in a moment. But one thing that you can see from the beginning is that the high priest bears the names of the uh, tribes, you could say, corporately on his shoulders and now individually on his breastpiece. Uh, you'll notice if you, if you take a look, and I think we have a picture uh, closer up of the actual breastpiece. So you can see that there's some different um, jewels there. We would call them precious stones. Each one of the stones is for one of the tribes. And so as you look, you can see four rows, three across, and this is the breast piece of the high priest. You begin to move down the list to the right, and you can see ruby for Reuben, emerald uh, for uh, Simeon, and so forth. Uh, I actually pulled this picture from the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, where I've been twice in person, and they have replicated all of the uh, elements, including the furnishings and the garments for the high priest. And they are now in Jerusalem, including a beautiful menorah. Every uh, piece that you would need for a modern temple is complete and housed somewhere in Jerusalem or actually in, within the institute, including the vestments for the high priest and the priests. Uh, there's uh, talk about finding a red heifer and, and that kind of thing. But that's what's going on today in Jerusalem. So if you ever get a chance to go, if you haven't been to Israel, usually on a typical tour, you will go to the Temple Institute and you'll get to see a little bit of this close up, typically behind glass so you don't touch anything. But the breast piece in 15, close to the heart of the high priest, is called a breast piece of judgment. The work of a skillful workman like the work of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, of blue, uh, Purple, scarlet material, fine twisted linen, you shall make it. Again, the royal colors that we've already looked at. It shall be square and folded double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount it on four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row, verse 18, shall be turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a hyacinth an agate and an amethyst, uh, 20. The fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree, or you could, if you have an NIV, it says gold settings. The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the 12 tribes. And so here in rapid fire are the jewels and the tribes. Reuben, red, uh, the ruby. The jade is Simeon, uh, green stone. This is our, our best understanding of the colors. The agate representing Levi is red, white, and black striped. The carbuncle represents Judah. It's a bluish green precious stone. The lapis lazuli representing Issachar is blue. The quartz crystal representing the tribe of Zebulun is clear. Uh, on the other, uh, or I'm sorry, as we continue to move down the rows, turquoise representing Dan is a blue stone. The amethyst represents Naphtali, it's purple. The agate representing the tribe of Gad is gray. 
The aquamarine represents Asher in a blue-green precious jewel. The onyx represents Joseph. It's a black stone. And the opal, uh, representing Benjamin, is a stone possessing all the colors. The Temple Institute has done some exhaustive research to try to trace the history of all these jewels and, you know, try to find out the exact color schemes and, and so forth. And so this is uh, just one way that you can kind of take a look. There, there's some variations in, uh, of names with the stones and best shots at colors and stuff like that. But with, on the actual stone was the name of the tribe, which is simply the name of one of the sons. And this was what was on the breastpiece of the high priest as he ministered. And uh, these particular jewels, almost all of them are listed in Ezekiel 28, 13, and 14. It says this, speaking to the king of Tyre and potentially to another being behind him, Satan himself. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets or timbrels and pipes was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Ezekiel 28, 13 and 14 indicates that in the Garden of Eden, and some people take this symbolically, others literally, these same jewels or stones were there in the Garden of God, or you could say on the mountain of God. Uh, you were the anointed cherub who covers, Ezekiel 28, 14. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Interesting. These same jewels or same precious stones are also seen in Revelation 21, 19 and 20 in the New Jerusalem. Nearly all these precious gemstones, or I think, in fact, all of them, in the New Jerusalem, where they decorate the foundation of God's city. This is a hint, says uh, Riken, uh, that what God is doing with Israel in the tabernacle was part of his plan for the world, a plan that stretches from creation to future glory, close quote. And so these jewels have some great significance. But think about the picture now. The two stones represent the corporate nation, the breastpiece with all of the individual tribes, you could say the individual uh, individuals within the nation or the tribes themselves. And so what does the high priest do when he ministers? He carries the nation before God in memorial and carries the, all the tribes close to his heart. And if there is a crossover from the vestments of the high priest to our high priest, and there's no doubt that there is. In fact, if you remember, if you've studied Revelation 1, specifically verses 12 through 18, you will see that Jesus Christ, this great prophecy about Jesus in the book of Revelation, a prophecy about Christ, he is wearing the vestments of a high priest because Jesus is our great high priest. And he carries our burdens on his shoulders. He bore our burden, the burden of our sin. He took it at the cross. And he always carries his people close to his heart. Amen? What a beautiful picture of our great high priest. 
little bit more about the breast piece. You shall make on the breast piece chains of twisted cordage work in pure gold, 23. You shall make on the breast piece two rings of gold. You shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breast piece. You shall put the two cords of gold on the two rings at the end of the breast piece. You shall put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings. Put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. You shall make two rings of gold. You shall place them on the two ends of the breast piece on the edge of it, which is toward the inner side of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, kind of the, to hold the, the cord pieces to keep it close and secure. On the front of it, close to the place where it is joined, above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. One, uh, four rings for each corner of the breast piece. That's a simple way to summarize. They shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, that it may be on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, that the breast piece may not come loose from the ephod. Believers are forever close to the heart of their high priest. Amen. We're not going anywhere. And Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment, 29. If you have an NIV, the breastpiece of decision, we'll come back to that, over his heart. When he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Aaron carries the people of God into the presence of God. Uh, I think we have covenant overtones with this idea of a memorial remembrance. God will never forget the covenant he's made with his people. If I put it in modern language, God might say something like this to us. I love you. I'm in covenant with you, and I will never forget you. You know, Israel uh, felt that way when they went into Babylonian captivity. Perhaps the Lord's forgotten us, and the Lord said, can a nursing mom forget, you know, her child? Even if she forgets, and that's almost unthinkable, I will not forget you. You've been inscribed on the palms of my hands. And so the the. The phrase over his heart three times in two verses. Aaron shall carry them over his heart, carry the judgment over his heart. This is probably the idea of their sins being forgiven, that Aaron intercedes with the blood of an animal. But there's also a hint of something else here, and it's of decision making. So we'll transition and we'll kind of wind this down in the sense that the, the clothing represents mediation for sin, but the high priest also, in representing the nation, needed to help the nation make decisions in keeping with who they are, in covenant with the living God. You and I need to make decisions in keeping with who we are and the fact that we're in the new covenant. And so how do we make those decisions? Well, back in ancient times, they would either have a prophet or at some points in their history, they had the Urim and the Thummim. And it was for guidance. Uh, here's the thought I have. If you want to be guided by God, you have to stay close to his heart. Amen? 
I mean, so many Christians are trying to figure out things that you should have already figured out, frankly. There are some things you don't need to ask for guidance on because they're already clear in the Word of God. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for guidance. I'm just saying don't ask for guidance when there's already a Bible verse that tells you what to do. Just obey the Bible verse. Now, whatever the Urim and the Thummim were, whether they were two stones or some people uh, think it was an extra piece of garment or a light shone on it or maybe uh, it, it had some connections to the uh, casting of lots, etc. One ancient scholar says the Urim and the Thummim mean lights and perfections. And basically... In, in the idea of a nation needing to make a decision. So let's just say there's no king in Israel and uh, there's a threat of war and they want to know, should we go to war against this people? How would they get an answer? How would they know God's will? Well, one way that they would seek out the answer to the question was through the Urim and the Thummim, through the high priest, through the mediation, obviously, of him going to God. How did it work? I don't know, and I think it's only speculation. But some say that letters would light up on potentially the two stones. Some say that uh, you could get a yes or a no answer from it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, mystical beliefs about the Urim and the Thummim, how they worked. But I will tell you this, we don't know for sure. Uh, answers could have lit up or... Uh, there was maybe, maybe questions were stated in such a way where it was either a negative or a positive answer. Uh, it could have to do with light and darkness. Um, I don't know for sure. But here is the application for us. When we walk with the Lord in the knowledge of his word and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, life will not be much of a mystery to us. Do you agree? If you read your Bible... Study the Word of God and walk in the Holy Spirit. Life will not be a mystery to you. You won't need to go the extra step and ask a friend if they know where, if an archaeologist has discovered the Urim and the Thummim so you can bring them out in case you need an answer. Now, there are some things, obviously, that are outside of Bible verses, specific things like, should I take this job? Should I relocate? Should I do this or that? And this is where I would, I would say this to you as a general principle. Is what you're about to do related to the kingdom of God, his glory, kingdom advancement? Is that why you are wrestling over what you're wrestling with? Is, is, are you wrestling with something that you already know you shouldn't be doing, but you're, you're just going to, you heard the story about the guy who said he, he quit eating donuts and then one day he drove by the donut store and he said, okay, Lord, if you want me to eat a donut again, let there be an open parking space. And after driving around the donut shop 15 times, <laughs> a parking space opened up and it had to be the will of the Lord to get that maple bar in Jesus' name. No, 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 no. It wasn't the will of God. It was your will. And I'm not saying that that maple bar made you sinful or anything like that. Because I hope it's not a sin because I've been partaking for a while. <laughs> but here's the main point. 
I think we know quite a bit about how to navigate this life. And I think that if we are on the verge of making a decision, we ought to ask ourselves, is this kingdom related? Is this Holy Spirit driven? Or am I just kind of mulling over something that really is almost irrelevant? Or it may not even be something that God wants me to pay attention to. Now, the Urim and the Thummim were obviously came in handy back in the day, but we have a complete revelation of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit in our heart. We don't need a couple of stones or objects to throw on the ground and hope we get an answer. We got a book of answers right here, which most of the Christian church doesn't bother reading during the week. But on a positive note, the gems are precious stones, and it tells me that we're precious to God. He cares about you, and he cares about me. Now, I'm going to move rapidly. Uh, I want you to see just the last part of this. The high priest robe, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There should be an opening 32 at its top. In the middle of it, around its opening, there should be a binding woven work, as it were the opening of a coat of mail, that it may not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates. This would be kind of a sign of blessing in the ancient world. Pomegranate spoke of blessing. Uh, of blue and purple and scarlet material all around its hem, bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around them, all around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its tinkling may be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place. And you might want to note the holy place. It doesn't say the holy of holies, but he does go in there once a year. Before the Lord that, notice, he may not die. Now let's just show, I, I got a couple pictures of the hem of the garment so you can see it. And uh, here's the bells with the pomegranate kind of uh, in between. And I think we might have one more. Uh, I don't know if it's back or whatever. But anyway, you can see. So when he goes in and he approaches the holy place, there is a ding-ling, ding-ling, ling-ling, ling-ling, ling And uh, what, what's the purpose of the tinkling bells when he enters into the holy place? <laughs> is he going to catch God by surprise? <laughs> no, because God is omniscient and omnipresent, so that's not the problem. So what is the deal? Is it kind of like a symbolic warning that I'm about to come into a place where God is incredibly awesome and holy, and I'm just going to give a little heads up. I'm going to ring the bell, as it were. <laughs> God, coming in now. <laughs> I'm good, right? We're good? Now, he had something else. There was a plate of pure gold, 36, engraved, like the engravings of a seal. And on his crown, he wore a plate of gold around a turban. And it said, Yahweh Kadosh, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on a blue cord. It shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things, which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to their holy gifts. It shall always be on his forehead that they shall that they may be accepted before the Lord. Some of you know that 
The 144,000 have the name of God on their foreheads. Revelation 7, 1, 14, 1. The name of God on our foreheads is in Revelation 22, 4. And on the crown of the high priest is a beautiful uh, plate of gold. Let's go to that picture. And it says, holy to the Lord. And it sums up, it brings together the picture of what the garments are all about. This individual was set apart unto the Lord, holy to the Lord, to minister into the, in the temple and to be set apart for God's purposes. You and I are holy to the Lord. Amen? We're set apart for God's purposes. The church are the holy ones of God, set apart unto the things of the new covenant. And thus, we uh, don the, the garments of spiritual clothing. Uh, let me just sum it up in 39 and 40. You shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen. You shall make the turban of fine linen. You shall make a sash, the work of a weaver. And for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics. You shall make shall also make sashes for them. You shall make caps for them. They are the lesser priests, if you will, for glory and for beauty. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for the pictures of the tabernacle pointing us to our great high priest and the beauty of the new covenant. We don't don vestments of cloth anymore. We put on the new man. We are the new community. We... Uh, put aside the old, we put on the new. We put on the armor of God. We even adorn ourselves with the doctrine of God so that we can do what we do, live the way we live for glory and for beauty. Lord, there is a beauty in holiness. There's a, a beauty in a life consecrated to God. There's a beauty that the world does not know. A glory a weightiness to a life set apart unto the king. And we, we have a mediator. His name is Jesus. He's one mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. And he's it. But in another sense, we are ambassadors for that great king. And we tell other people how to meet the mediator. Would you help us with that, Lord? For glory and for beauty that we would don the garments of the new covenant, the garments of the power of the Holy Spirit, the garments of the beauty of knowing our God, the beauty of holiness, the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection power. Help us to don the garments of beauty when life is not easy. But let there be nonetheless a grace an endowment in our lives that, that's attractive, that sustains us, and also proclaims the goodness of our God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together, and we pray it all in Jesus' name.